Hi everyone and welcome to the DevMar Debugged podcast, where experts from top companies all over the world share their insights on everything developer marketing. Before we get into today's episode, a message from our sponsor, Kachi. Building a successful developer marketing strategy doesn't happen in a bubble. For over 12 years, the experts at Kachi have helped technology companies build, grow, and manage developer marketing programs. We can help you figure out what to do based on market research and audience intelligence, then bring that vision to life. Whether you're building a developer marketing program from scratch or adjusting an existing strategy, Catchy can help you do what it takes to reach your goals. Don't be a stranger. Get in touch with us at catchyagency.com. Uh, today, we're joined by William Chia, product marketing leader at Osanu. Uh, we're taking a look at the developer persona and discussing what happens when developers are not the only target audience. So hi, William. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Teresa. Really nice to be with you. Yeah, great. Thank you. And But before we get into it, I thought you could maybe tell listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do at Osanu. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, currently director of product marketing. Osano is actually a privacy tool that helps businesses with privacy compliance. Um, so we do have a lot of engineers that use our tools, a lot of software developers, for example, when they need to add, um, they need to comply with different privacy regulations around the world on their website, and they need tooling on the website in order to do things like cookie banners and get consent and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work a little bit with uh, software engineers today, but but a lot with uh, legal personas, uh, people in legal compliance, risk and security, uh, and a lot of marketers who also manage the website. But over my career for the last decade and a half, I have been uh, a software engineer myself. I've been a product marketer. I've been a product manager. And uh, every other company I've been at, I have worked with software developer tools. Mm-hmm. So uh, from tools designed for... Um, Linux sysadmins and um, operations engineers to uh, software developers. I've worked at companies like uh, Twilio. So I joined Twilio uh, when they were around 400 employees and went through, grew with them to a little over a thousand, went through IPO with Twilio. And then similarly, I joined GitLab when they were 200 employees and grew with them to 1500 employees and went through IPO with them. So I've been at a couple uh, hyper growth, well-known developer tools companies. And uh, I love, I love software developers. It's in my heart. I am a software developer. So um, this is a, you know, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart talking about software engineering. Yeah, no, that's great. What made you want to become a product marketing then in the first place? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's funny. Cause I started out, uh, I started out my career as um, essentially like a more like an operations engineer. And we can talk more about this when we talk about what's the difference, when, when is the developer, not a developer? Yeah. Great title. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I definitely wrote code. Like I wrote bash scripts, right. Which is a, you know, a Turing complete programming language. I actually programmed in this, uh, I, I managed a VoIP telephony system called asterisk. That was an open source tooling. And it had its own programming language called dial plan that you, that you wrote all your scripts in. So I did all of those things as a Linux sysadmin, um, but I wasn't writing like features. Uh, but anyway, that was that's what I did. I worked in IT and I was like an IT sysadmin. And uh, I ended up working for the company that sponsors that open source project. So I was using their software and then they hired me to, I was like programming phone systems. They hired me to train other people how to program the phone systems. Mm. And then what happened is like all of my training videos on like how to do different things. The marketing department kept on like 
appropriating the like all of my content for <laughs> to enable the sales team and to share with our partners. Um, so I just got sucked into marketing and I really found that the thing that I love about product marketing in particular is my job is basically to know the customer. That's mm. like my number one job. So you do a bunch of stuff with that information, the messages that you put out to like how you, what your marketing and sales strategy is and all those kind of things. But at, at its core, my job is to understand customers. And so when the customer is a software developer or an operations engineer or a technical persona, I love getting to know those people. I love talking to them. I love hearing about their challenges every single day. And uh, so that's really what I love about product marketing is um, getting to know the customer. And the customer is also quite different from other audiences, aren't they? Like the developer as an audience, people say just, you know, marketing to developers just so different. So um, what, in your opinion, makes them so different than other types of customers? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. It's definitely, there's a, it is a meme that developers hate marketing. Yeah. And I would argue as a developer marketer myself, that uh, developers don't actually hate marketing. What they hate is bad marketing. Um, and there's a lot of terrible marketing. And probably it's because you don't have someone like me whose job it is to like know your customer inside and out and be like passionately hyper obsessed over that customer and what's the language that they use? What are the problems they have? How do they describe those problems in their language? And honestly, to have a level of technical depth and acumen such that the things that you are describing um, have some credibility. Mm. So a lot, of, a lot of marketing, like they don't know the user, they don't know their problems. It's, this is why they say, oh, that's just marketing fluff. It's meaningless. Because it doesn't actually describe a real problem they have. It doesn't describe it at a level of technical depth that that actually makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of marketing turns off turns off developers and they don't like it. And they're like, ah, I just want to skip the marketing. I just want to get to the docs. But as a developer marketer myself, who's been doing this for you know 15 years, mm. I would argue step one of great developer marketing, have an amazing docs site, mm. right? <laughs> So like your documentation is a core part of your developer developer marketing strategy. So, uh, you know, a developer would be like, oh, I don't, I don't like marketing. I just want to get to the yeah. docs. And I think uh, actually for me, the docs are part of the marketing and having yeah. beautiful, like well laid out, easy to search, um, you know, pithy, easy to use documentation. That's a core part of what you call your marketing strategy because Marketing is really just about like, how do people hear about and adopt your product? That's yeah. it. Like that's marketing. It's not it, like, yes, you can use advertising. Yes, it can get all fancy and complicated, but really at a simple level, it's just like, if people don't know who you are, how do they hear about you? And then when they hear about you, how do they get to know you and adopt and adopt your product and everything from like, you know, your in-app tutorials and your onboarding sequences to like great documentation, all of that process is is part of your marketing. It's part of um, it's part of how your users get to know you and how they adopt your your product. Yeah, and sort of like developing those personas as well is also part of marketing, isn't it? Kind of um, as you said, understanding the customer and how um, how do you come to sort of develop that develop a persona? Yeah, absolutely. Now, when yeah, when you start talking about what are my different types of strategies or what different types of documentation we have? Because there's you have multiple different types of docs or 
different onboarding flows or um, if we're going to do advertising and it's going to have like, you know, it's not going to be fluffy. It's going to be concrete and good and user-based and great messaging. Um, but we're going to do that advertising. Where are we going to advertise? Who are we going to advertise mm -hmm. to? To answer that question, you need to have marketing personas. Yep. And so at a very, very simple level, I mean, there are entire, you can take entire courses on the, on the, you know, the, the Alliance website, they have entire courses on persona development. So we won't cover it all on this podcast, but at a nutshell, a persona is really just a, it's a general profile of a type of, of a type of person, either a user or a buyer, somebody that interacts with your product or your software or your tool. You know, I suppose it could not just be, see, I, I think immediately your product is software because I've only marketed software, but I suppose you could be a consumer marketer or something else. But if you're a developer marketer, probably marketing software and yeah. your, pers your personas are kind of like a generalized profile, right? So you might have a generalized profile of a front end react developer, right? That could be a persona that you have. And, you know, that's going to be different from, you know, a backend node G uh, node JS engineer, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're both software developers. They both write code primarily as their job. Um, they're both even uh, what we would call like an individual contributor. It means like they're not managing people. Like their day job is to like do stuff. Uh, not that managers don't do stuff, but um, <laughs> I get it. You know, so those are all elements of that persona. And then everybody who meets that profile tends to have some similarities. Tends to have like similar problems that they say face or similar things that they care about. And so, yeah, what, what helps in your marketing efforts, whether you are a product marketer like myself or you're do demand generation or campaigns, or even if you're like a, you know, a developer evangelist or a community marketer where your job is to, is to manage your community, uh, having defined personas helps you prioritize the work that you're going to do, right? Because mm -hmm. there's different types of people in your community. There's different types of users that you can have. And your product is probably better for one type of user versus another type. Yeah. And so knowing who your core personas are, who are the people you're really targeting, who are the people who you who you know your product is best for, that's that's why it's important to have personas so that you you know who you're going after. Yeah, because sometimes as you said, not just the developers, is it? Um are, are there any other types of personas you would look at? For example, the engineers who might prefer, um, as we've discussed before, a white paper instead of code doc or something like that? Yeah, so this is a great question, right? When is a developer not a developer? When is a persona? So I use the example of you know, front-end React developer, back-end Node.js developer. Those are both software developers, though, like in a very um, core sense, whereas when you start talking about somebody whose primary job may be as a, a quality assurance test engineer, mm. right? Like they probably write some code or do some level of automation, but they're not building features and they use different tooling. Or you'd have, you could have somebody who's a DevOps engineer who their job is primarily uh, automation and building, building pipelines. And then all the way into like infrastructure engineers where, you know, maybe they're managing AWS and they're managing, you know, the Google Cloud um, virtual machines or, you know, containers or they're working with Kubernetes. Yeah. And those those are infrastructure engineers. And yeah, they probably write code as part of their day job, but 
those people have very different problems. They care about different things than, you know, say like a front end React developer or Node.js feature developer, right? Mm. So you have like feature developers, you would have like, you know, QA people, you could have um, DevOps, you know, people who do like pipelines, and then you could have like infrastructure operations people or infrastructure, you know, these days they call it like platform engineering or infrastructure. And all of those people care about different things. They all need different types of content. They all need a different message. They have different pain points and different things they care about. And then to make it even more complicated, <laughs> which is like software is a complicated space. Yeah, of it's course. One of, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I love about it is it's so challenging and um the level of complexity makes it very interesting, right? Mm. Um, so it's a beautiful space to be in because there's there's always something new to learn. And it's, you, I mean, you could, it doesn't matter how deep you are in one area, that there can be something else that you don't know anything at all about. All that's to say is um, those are what I call like at the individual contributor level or like the individual engineer. But then you start talking about like, do those people buy the software, mm. right? Are they the buyer? They're the user so like, let's say you have a tool, like I, I worked at a place called GitLab. Um, you know, GitLab is an amazing software tool. Like one of the things I loved about being there is how much our customers loved using the tool. And that's always very, very rewarding. But the people that use GitLab, the software developers and the infrastructure operations engineers and the DevOps people that used it every single day, they were very, very often not the people who held the budget in the organization who bought the tool. Yeah. Right. So there, you have a difference between your user persona and your buyer persona. And so when you are talking about, especially when you talk about developer marketing and how do people hear about and adopt your product before any of those users can actually go use the tool, somebody in the org has to pay for it. Right. Yeah. Now, in a lot of in a lot of orgs, developers do have budget. And uh, one of the things that I've seen very successful are companies like Atlassian, where you can start, you can buy like your own user license for like $4 or something. So you just plug in a credit card and go, and you don't need to go through your procurement organization, or you don't need to go through a big budget cycle. And uh, at Twilio, when I worked at Twilio, it worked a lot of that way too. It was the power Twilio is you put in a credit card and you, with $10, you could you know, get a hundred SMS messages or more, and you could just start mm. going and just build your app and nobody's blocking you. So that's, that's a very powerful, when we start talking about pricing and packaging, yeah. it's a very powerful motion to have um, a self-service developer type motion. Uh, sometimes the, the trendy word these days is, is product led growth or PLG Yes. at a motion, but in a lot of orgs, especially large enterprises, uh, the biggest companies on the planet, the ones that have the most money, uh, the people that hold the budget are some type of IT leadership. So somebody who's either in the, the CIO's org, the chief information officer. So they are responsible for IT operations um, and they tend to manage all of the software and applications and they hold a budget for software tooling, right? Or even engineering leadership. So like people that roll up into the product organization under the chief product officer or people that roll into the technology under the CTO. So all of the engineering org is usually going to run under the CTO and folks like engineering managers and engine and directors of engineering or VP of engineering, those people often have budget as well. So to your point earlier, you may need different types of content 
for those different tiers because they have different problems, right? Yeah. If you're a VP of engineering in a large, you know, organization, the challenges that you face and the things that you think about are very, very different than what an individual contributor software developer faces and thinks about every day. And they're both important challenges, but they're different. Yeah. And they they may even use or care about the same tools, or sometimes the 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 IT leadership may not even use the tools. So they may not be a user of the tool, but they hold the budget. So they're the decision maker on whether you're going to buy that or not. So what does that mean? Well, that means that you probably need some content for them. That probably means that they need to hear about your product too, and they need to know and understand your product. And if they're not going to use it, they're probably not looking at the docs. So how are they going to hear about your, your, your product and what kind of content are they going to consume to really understand that? Well, it might be something like a downloadable white paper. It might be something that describes the at a conceptual level, the conceptual problems of your industry. And those can still be very, very technical, but often they don't have any code in them. Hmm. Right? So one of the misconceptions is that all developer content has to have code. And uh, I would argue that's true at like the IC level, at the individual contributor level, that when you're marketing to those users, you got to have code. You got to speak their language because they speak code. But if you're, you know, marketing to somebody who's like a director of IT, they probably don't write code. Maybe they never have, or they haven't in a long, long time. And they're thinking more conceptually about technical challenges and they're looking for answers to those problems too. And so your content has to answer those problems. So one of the things that we have talked about, you know, in various developer orgs I've worked are three types of content. We mm. call it the keyboard, the whiteboard, and the boardroom, mm. right? So the keyboard is like code, right? Like the keyboard content, like, do you have code in your blog post? Like, do you have a weekend project? Like go and, you know, go on the weekend and build this kind of cool thing. Like one of the, one of the guys I worked with, he had this brilliant little app where like um, you could send text messages to play Pokemon. So he coded <laughs> a Pokemon app and then like, um, and like multiple people could all text it at the same time. So that's kind of like keyboard content. And he showed like what, here's the code, how to do it. Right. But then you have what we call the whiteboard content. So these might be things like if you're like a director or a VP, or sometimes if your title is a uh, chief architect, right? Those, those are really popular in the enterprise. <laughs> and um, you're not thinking about code per se, but you're thinking about systems and how different things fit together and the architectural design of your application, right? Like that's very, very important, right? Like if you're talking about something like maybe you have um, a monolithic app Ruby application, right? Like you have like all in one stack, like all in one code base, and you know, you need to decompose that application into microservices and you want to containerize it and you want to put it on Kubernetes. This is a, this is a common thing that's been going on for since Kubernetes has been around or even, even before that with like services oriented architecture. So it's been going on for a decade or more, this kind of shift or like, when do you shift? Because it doesn't always make sense to start out and have, you know, a thousand microservices, if you just like, sometimes it's more efficient to just have a single monolithic app because it's fast and easy if you're a startup. Mm. But then at some point as your org grows and scales, you need to change the architecture of your app. So the people that are thinking about that, right? The people that are thinking about like, 
when do we when do we break this out? Like, what do we break out into a service? What do we containerize? What do we what types of infrastructure does it get hosted on? All those are very, very, very technical challenges. All of those are um, somebody who's like a lot smarter than me and like, you know, hyper technical worries about those things, but it's not code. And so we might call that like the whiteboard because mm -hmm. you draw on the whiteboard, like how things are connected. And a lot of times that structural or architectural content is quote unquote developer marketing. Now, developers might look at that. They, they probably don't care, right? They're like, where's the code? Where's the keyboard content? Yeah. But um, that's why the developer's not a developer. They're they're actually a chief architect, but they're part of the people that buy and use your software, right? Hmm. And similarly, like you have like the boardroom content, right? And then that even then goes up a layer of abstraction. Like what are the industry challenges? What are the business problems that arise? Like if you don't use this software, so this is even like, if you're trying to manage an engineering org, if you're a CTO, like you would care about things like developer efficiency um, and, you know, resourcing and like, how do I get the most productivity out of my team while also keeping them happy so they don't leave because like software engineers are our most valuable resource. So I want to keep my developers happy. Um, I, that's like an, I, that's like a, an HR problem. Right. Hmm. So if I'm a CTO, I'm worried about like my people and my team. Ideally, if I'm a really good CTO, yeah, maybe. of course. <laughs> Some developers be like, my CTO is a big jerk, but <laughs> I'm sure they'll be. <laughs> the CTOs I've worked with have really, really cared about their teams and really cared about yeah. their engineers. Mm. And um, <laughs> like the CTO at my current work, they, they, like he thinks about this all the time. Like yes, like he, like I'm at a small startup now, so like yes, my CTO actually writes code. Um, he does keyboard content. Yes, he actually does a lot of architecture engineering, whiteboard content, but he does a lot of thinking about like bigger problems, like how do we ship faster, right? Like how do I get more efficiency and how do I keep my engineers happy? And he cares a lot about those things. And so there are problems that he has every single day that he thinks about that are only kind of like similarly related to software. But as an example, I'll give you an example, like GitLab, where I worked at GitLab, they GitLab makes engineers happy, right? Like yeah. <laughs> if you if you have like five or six different tools that you got to work with and you got to bounce around between them. And I heard this every single day as a product marketer. I would talk to I would talk to our users. And they'd be like, oh, it's so frustrating. I gotta log in this tool and I gotta log in this tool and it's all really, really complicated. And then all of a sudden we got GitLab and like everything was like in one spot for me and it was really easy to use and I loved it. And that makes me happy. Um, and so like my job is easier. And so that's a benefit. That's like a reason to buy the software. It has nothing to do with writing the code. I mean, in a little sense it does, but it's uh, it's like an HR problem. And it's something that your IT leadership or your CTO thinks about. So that's kind of an idea of like, when you're thinking about developer, the broader topic of developer marketing, really I like to think about more as marketing to technical audiences. Mm. And especially in the enterprise, like a lot of times, uh, the people that are buying and using your software or the people that are responsible for getting your software into that organization may not be the users and they have different problems that they think about. So you need to think about them as a persona and think about what type of content are you creating for them? What type of community are you creating for them? What type of um, ways to engage are you creating for those people as well? Yeah. And they're so different from one another as well. So what would your first step be, I, I guess, would be my question on how how to target 
certain persona how do you go about deciding um okay we want to target the developer on this one and want to target i guess sometimes it's more obvious because obviously it might be at the more leadership sort of role but what would your first step be in sort of deciding um okay this is a persona we want to target now instead of a developer for example yeah that is a terrific question that is that is like as a product mark that is that is core to product marketing um, that's something that I think about every day. Like, and so the starting place is really um, understanding an organization, and then understanding like how the pieces in that organization relate to each other. And the uh, you know this could be like different departments or different. Um, sometimes it's even just different informal groups. It's not even like the formal org chart structure. Sometimes there's like informal groups that relate to each other. So you start out by understanding the organization, understanding the people and understanding their challenges. And essentially what you're looking for is it's kind of like a two-way road. Hmm. So you, and the it's an inbound and it's an outbound problem, right? So on the one hand, it's, it's kind of outbound because you have, likely you have something that exists. You have a product that exists. It does certain things today and it solves certain problems today. And so in the outbound way, you're searching for who are the people in that org that have that problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then it's also an inbound problem because like, as you get to know those people and as you get to know that problem, you're realizing like, okay, they have this problem. That's a really big one that actually we don't address, but we could. And so that's like what I would call market research or market insights, um, which is also a job of product marketing is this idea that like, okay, not only do I want to understand developers so that I can take my message and take my software to them, but I want to understand developers and have deep, deep empathy for them because I want to, I want to know what their pain points and challenges are so I can bring that back to my org so that we can build a better product for them. Mm. So there's like an inbound and outbound motion. So it all really, really starts with customer empathy and um, you know user research or customer research and this can take all kinds of forms. People that, that work in UX are usually really, really good at this. Um, product managers do a lot of it. Product marketers do a lot of it. But really, like, so something I do is I just, I just hop on a lot of sales calls, mm. right? And not only just sales calls, but I also hop on a lot of calls with our customer success people where they're like account managers. So when I, I just talk to customers a lot. In fact, one thing I'm excited about this week I'm actually going out to a conference. And one of the things I love about going to conferences is just talking face-to-face -face and hearing from you know, people in an industry, what are your challenges? What do you deal with? What are the things you care about? So really, really just starts with there, knowing the user, knowing the customer, knowing their challenges. And you kind of gather that and group it together. And all of a sudden, then you start to um, you know, see the connections, right? So then you'll start to see like, okay, well, these this group of people and this group of people, actually, they're they're two different types of people, but they have the very same problem. And so I'm going to treat them as a at the same persona because they have the same problem to solve. Hmm. They work in different functions of the org, and they're not exactly the same, but they both have the same problem. And so that's when you can de develop a persona around that. And then you can then use that persona as guidance for, like, you know, prioritizing programs or for, you know, how do we do... What kind of message would we write? So you have that person in mind. You would say, okay, like, would this message resonate with that person? 
would this article, would that person care about it? And then that's how you would use the persona. Yeah, because um, just thinking, right? So if you're trying to market this sort of like invisible product, how do you go about making people sort of like visualizing the product, right? When you are um, both developers and non-developers, I suppose. Yeah, how would you go about just sort of, okay, this is the benefits. You can get this, this, and this from it. And Basically, like... um... Once you once you've kind of done the research, you would then like document and write down. So writing things down, that's actually like I'm really passionate about writing things down. <laughs> and I talk about this a lot because um now in like a post-COVID world, like everybody works from remote. Yeah. Um, I was working remote before it was cool. So like <laughs> um, and I fell in love with this concept of remote work. And one mm. of the one of the um superpowers of remote work is just writing stuff down. That is a, that is a quote from Matt Mullenweg, who is the CEO of uh, Automatic. They're the, the folks behind WordPress. One, mm. they're pre-COVID, they were one of the largest all remote you know, companies on the planet. GitLab, where I worked, was another uh, Envision. And so, um, you know, one of the, this is like kind of off topic of developer marketing, but I'll, br- I'll bring it back around. No, for um, sure. The idea is like, you know, like when you're in the office, like maybe you have tons of meetings. And when I worked for companies that I worked in an office, like I just had tons of meetings. And what happens is you have a meeting and you talk about a bunch of stuff and nobody writes anything down. And then next week you're like, what did we agree on last week? Mm. And I even see you smiling because it's like, you have experienced this. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) I can guarantee you that like most people listening to this podcast have probably experienced this. So what's like the answer? Like this literally is writing things down. It's like, as much as I said how passionate I am about documentation, like developer documentation is such a huge part of your marketing org, internal documentation or literally just document everything. That is a superpower. And remote orgs tend to get it because if you have folks in different parts of the world, like I'm in Texas, you're in London. So like our time zones overlap a little bit, but if you and I were going to collaborate and we did, actually, we even did this before this podcast. Before you and I even, yeah, before you and I even got on the call, you had a document, you like wrote down all of the stuff and like we could um, work asynchronously in that document before we even got on the meeting. So all that's to say is like a key part of the personas is documenting them, right? Mm -hmm. Once you've done that user research, once you've like talked to your customers and you understand who they are, um, you need to write that down. And there's a lot of different templates, actually like the Alliance, they have a lot of great templates for this. Um, So you can actually just go on there and, and use some of their templates. In fact, the Alliance not only has templates to document your uh, personas, but they actually have great persona interview questions as well. Yes, so there, there's a, <laughs> that's there's true. A, you can go in there if you have a if you and now I'm like pitching the Alliance. Like, <laughs> why you. you should why you should subscribe to the Alliance is because they, they have a lot of great templates. You can log in, and there's a whole template of questions, and you can go and ask your users those questions in your user interview. Right, you schedule an interview with your users. You go and ask them all these questions. You write down all the answers. You synthesize that and you find the commonalities. And then you document it in a persona. And this could be like a slide. This could be, you know, on my favorite place to put it is like on a on a wiki or like a handbook. Mm. I like it in text because it's easy to edit yeah. and access. And so like then you have that written down and then you use that then as a source document, right? So then, like I said, then it becomes like, okay, like... I'm a community marketer 
And uh, we're going to put on like a developer event and we're going to, we have enough budget to put on like five regional events. Where, what cities are, do we want to put those regional events in? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, let's go back to our developer personas. Let's go, or even like our software personas, right? Who, who are we targeting with these events? Are these executive events, right? Are we looking to get CTOs and CIOs and CISOs? Or are these like individual developer events or somewhere in between, right? Who is the persona we're targeting? That'll depend like how we format, what the, what the content of the event is, and even where we have them. Like if I can only have five worldwide, hmm. I have to decide where they're going to be. And, and I might choose to do it in a city where there's like a high concentration of you know, maybe, maybe there's already like a great user community around another type of software project. Right. Um, like I remember this from like my early, early days, um, like Atlanta had like a lot of great user groups and like local communities, uh, that were already working with the types of software that integrated with my software. So when I wanted to go host a user event, I went and held it in Atlanta because those people were already there. Hmm. But it all came back to my persona. And I understood. And one of the questions on that form that you would ask in your user interview would be like, where do you go? Like, what communities do you belong to? You know, what uh, what Slack groups or what LinkedIn groups or what Twitter hashtags you follow or what um, these days when I do a lot of interviews, people will tell me about their uh, Instagram groups. Mm. Or not Instagram. Like, look at this. Like, I'm such an old man. Like, what are what are these young kids use these days? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's not Instagram, but uh, freaking maybe it is Instagram. Anyway, there's several mm. there's several apps like TikTok, and like you would think, like, is TikTok? I did really? Am I going to do like developer marketing on TikTok? Well, maybe not TikTok, but um, some of those some of those places have communities, right? Yeah. Some of the, anywhere that people gather and there's a social network often they'll gather around. So I like recently did a, a, a customer interview and it was with a product manager who's another type of software persona, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, if you think about it, like what is the end to end thing? Like what is everything that needs to happen to build software, right? Like, yes, somebody's writing the code. Yes, somebody's like deploying that code. Yes, somebody is managing the infrastructure. Yes, you have like IT leaders who are thinking about architecture, but you also have product managers, right? Very mm -hmm. often, People would not think of a product manager as a developer persona, but it absolutely is. Like mm. if you have a developer tool, I can guarantee you that product manager has some type of influence or engagement with that tool in some way, mm. most likely. So anyway, I was talking to a product manager recently and um, she was like, yeah, there, here's this other product leader that's on Instagram and I follow their Instagram because they post a lot of stuff on there. And I thought, huh, okay, this is like, I learned something. Like I would have thought like you'd go to Twitter or Reddit or yeah. some other forum like that. But no, actually like here was somebody and they were like, uh, you know, apparently they post stuff about product management on Instagram. And I was like, okay, okay, cool. Today I learned. Um, but anyway, the point is, is like going to where those communities are, whether they're in-person or virtual communities, understanding the communities that your users belong to, mm then that affects your strategy, right? That affects like, where do we do the event? Where do we advertise that event? Maybe we advertise on Instagram. Maybe I go and reach out to this leader in the space and be like, hey, look, like, you have a big following. Like, you know, can I talk to you about my thing? Like, maybe if you like it, 
I could do some advertising on your channel or, um, you know, you can tell your users what you think about it or whatever. Like that might be a way to, to get people to know about it. And then that all comes from the persona, right? Cause you did a persona interview, you interviewed somebody, they told you like, yes, like this is who I pay attention to and where I like to get, you know, information. And then you found like a thought, what we call a thought leader. That's kind of a marketing term, but like somebody who's a thought leader in your space. And, uh, you went and looked at that person and the content they put out and you realize like, this is what your users care about. So maybe I should put out similar content, mm. right? That's like the full circle of like persona research, developing the persona and then using the persona in your strategy and tactics of like how you execute your marketing programs. It's kind of like a lot of things to think about when creating just something that sounds simple, a persona, but it's not because <laughs> you have to take so many things into consideration, don't you? Is the demographics, is the, you know, where are they? Where can you find them? And Well, actually, since we're on the topic of personas and I got the microphone, I will give my little rant. Absolutely. Uh, so this, is, this, this is my rant on personas. Age is almost irrelevant on your personas. Uh, gender is almost irrelevant on your personas. Like, like really, this is, this is like, uh, almost as, like I said, it's like my pet peeve or something that makes me irritated. So any developer persona, even the ones I was like promoting earlier and being like, oh, go use these ones. I bet you they will even ask for things like age and gender. Yeah. And these are ridiculous questions. Unless, I'll tell you where these come from is because personas were originally developed by consumer marketers, right? So if you're a fashion brand, and you market a certain type of like sneakers, right? Like then you might care about a certain age group or, um, you know, gender, even those kinds of things. But like, if you're marketing software, that doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Like if you're marketing to a director of IT, it doesn't matter if that director of IT is like 27 or if that director of IT is 67. Yeah. Right. It might it might slightly matter, but it really doesn't. What matters is the, the, the problems that they face. Yeah. Right. What matters is like, what is their job and what are they trying to accomplish? Mm. Right. So tenure might matter, right? Like somebody who's a junior in their career and has been there three years has different problems than somebody who's had a 15 or a 30 year career. Right. And yes, of course, in order to have a 30 year career, you need to be like physically older. But keep in mind, you could be you could be like 60 and you could be like, I've been a software engineer for three years and I'm a junior engineer. And I decided like late in life, I really like love software engineering and wanted to go do that. And now I'm a software developer. Well, guess what? That 60 year old has a lot of the same problems as like, you know, somebody who's fresh out of college and has been a software developer for three years, even though they're very different ages, they have the same yeah. problems. So, so anyways, this is my rant is like, you know, don't put gender on there. Don't yeah. put age on there. That kind of stuff is is almost irrelevant. Personality. Like, yeah. Do all software developers have the same personality? No, they don't. That's like almost offensive, right? It like, is. I mean, people are human and they're different. <laughs> right, exactly. People are like, oh, well, all software engineers, they're all introverted and they're all yeah. like beardy, beardy Linux, you know, people. But it's like, well, no, actually, like a lot of software engineers are very extroverted and you wouldn't know they're not a typical traditional thing. So anyway, all this kind of stuff about like personality, gender, age, all that stuff's irrelevant. Um, it's going to lead you astray. It probably yeah. you, you will capture people. So think more about like, what are the problems they have? Yeah. 
what are the pain points that they have? What are the what are the challenges that they face? And that's what like unites them as people, hmm. even across like, you know, different ages and different genders and different, you know, different places around the world. And those kinds of things can even be the case. Yeah, it all comes back as well to that empathy you mentioned. You're just researching the custom, researching the person and understanding their needs and their pain points and all that. Yeah, it all comes full circle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is like at the baseline, like user empathy and customer empathy. Mm. That's number one. Like if you just, if you're like, I care about my users, I care about my customers. I want to know them. I want to know what they care about. That will never lead you astray. Like if you, if you just have that attitude of like, I want to understand that person, everything you do will be of higher quality. If you start by seeking to understand. No, that makes a lot of sense. And are there any, I guess that would be a mistake, but any other mistakes you think maybe that you've seen people do when marketing to a more non-developer audience? I mean, they're all developers, as you say, sort of persona, but uh, not the developer, but the engineer, the product manager, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Like what kind of, what are some of the common mistakes? So I kind of already, already mentioned this, but like treating everybody the same, right? Like saying, for example, even saying you have a developer tool could just be a mistake. Like if your, you know, if your tool is built on top of, you know, on top of Kubernetes and you, it, it works with containers and microservices, is that really a developer tool? I would really call yourself like a tool for like platform engineers, right? Mm. And, is, and just talk to that person. Just add, like, if you talk to somebody and you ask them like, oh, what do you do? They'll be like, I'm a platform engineer. I'm a systems engineer, or I'm, a, I'm an infrastructure engineer. That's how they describe themselves in their own language. Like if you, if you ask them, like, are you a software developer? They'd probably say, oh yeah, I'm a software developer. Like I wrote, I write code. But yeah. if you ask them like, what do you do? Or what's your job title? developers not there so using their language right like knowing who you're going after or who your thing is targeted towards is kind of using that so one mistake i kind of see is like generically using developer to mean like all technical personas okay. mm. which is the whole point of this podcast uh our whole point of this this session right now this interview yeah and then i would say some other ones like i said is is kind of like um not spending not spending enough time understanding before you put out right so like a lot of times when um the messaging is fluffy or the messaging you know doesn't hit and whether this is like an email you wrote or whether it's like a web page or whether it's any anything at all that you have to write some copy that describes what your product mm -hmm. is or what it does and i mean it could be like the words on the backdrop in your booth at a trade show could be your your web page or whatever if those words aren't informed with like understanding who your user is, then it can sound very like off tune and off key. And then the other thing is probably, yeah, just like not, not using or not, not thinking about who the personas are doing scattershot or, or shotgun style. Like we go out and we kind of blast everybody and it's not targeted. Yeah. Thinking about your personas is really like, it's a, it's an exercise in targeting and thinking about at what level of granularity do I want to like, rather than a broad message out to everybody, can I take some segment or some slice of that larger market or larger group of people and get more specific? Like these are people that have this in common. And then even these days, like you even have like 
they say these days is okay. Every, everything's been around for a long time. Everything that's new, is actually, <laughs> I don't know of anything that's like brand new, but um, account account based marketing <laughs> is really like you know, especially when you're marketing a large enterprise, even for like even and especially for technical products, right? You're marketing a technical product. If you want an enterprise to buy that product, a very successful you know practice these days is to do your segmenting even at an account level, right? So if you're marketing to a specific large enterprise, like let's say, you know, Goldman Sachs or Home Depot or pick a Fortune 500 company or Global 2000 company, um, you know, ING Bank, you target, your persona is like the people at that company, right? So not just like the infrastructure operations engineers generally worldwide, but what are the infrastructure operations engineer at ING Bank? What do they care about? And so now my persona is very, very specific to an account. And my marketing is very, very specific to that account. And of course, that's a lot of energy and effort. And so you can only do it if you have like very high sales price and you're only selling into large enterprises. Yeah. But for the sake of enterprise, you can even get so specific down to like specific accounts and even specific people. The mistake I've probably seen is either getting like too granular or getting too wide. And it's, it's probably thinking about like what level of granularity do we want to get at with our segments? Like we could say developers versus operations engineers. Then within developers, we could say, okay, well, actually we're going after front-end developers and not just front-end developers, but front-end developers that use React, right? And so like getting that level of specificity. Yes, that Goldilocks zone. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, yeah, and then there's yeah, it's like it's like it's a Goldie it's a Goldilocks zone. Yeah, um, no, thank you for that. That makes a ton of sense. And um, so, just to wrap up our episode, um, is there anything you'd like uh, marketers to know about marketing to a technical audience? Any tips you'd like to give? I would just say, like, uh, you know, tune in for the next episode of the next season. Thank you. You know, this has been a fun time chatting with Teresa. I think that there are um, a lot of great folks in this space. It's a fun space to to be a part of. Um, and there's always somebody to learn from. So that's what I, I always love these conversations because I learn something and I, and I always love listening to them because, you know, there's good there's good things to learn. So I would say uh, my biggest tip is is never stop learning and always be curious. And there's a lot of fun things, a lot of challenging things to do out there. So like, keep it going. Absolutely. That's a great tip. And William, thank you so much for joining me in our podcast and for those amazing insights and tips. And hopefully uh, talk to you very soon. And yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of DevMar Debugged. If you want to hear more from professionals in the developer marketing world, subscribe to our podcast for more expert talks. See you on the next one.